Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Friendings. My name is Sabina, and I'm here to take a look at the end of friendships, how that loss is experienced, grieved, and made sense of over time. It's not something we tend to talk about, and I'd like to change that. Welcome back to Friendings. Just a quick heads up, the birds in the garden are really doing their thing today, so you will probably catch a little bit of bird song in the background. I don't mind this one a bit because it's always nice to have some company on this show. So, I'm going to talk about another friending today, and it's a bit of an uncomfortable one. It's a friending that happened in two parts. That's right, dear listener, you get two for one today. The first part was a proper fallout, which I was really upset by at the time. And the second part was a fizzle out. After the initial fallout, we made amends and hit restart on the friendship, but it never really returned to its former glory. And I eventually made a conscious choice to let it go. I was and still am pretty okay with this decision, for the most part. It felt like the friendship ran its course, but there's some other emotions mixed up in there which I'll get into. Given I haven't really missed the friendship or mourned it the way I have others, I wasn't really sure if I should talk about it here. To be honest, it feels kind of heartless to talk about a friending that I didn't ultimately end up feeling that sense of loss over, where I'm really clear on the reasons I walked away. But maybe that in itself makes it worth talking about. Let's see. The way I understand it now, there are a couple of reasons my response to the two endings has been so different. After the first rupture, I worked through quite a few things and came to peace with not having that friendship in my life. I think I became aware of a sort of codependency. I learnt a lot from the rupture, where I was in my life, what I was able and not able to give as a friend, which has ultimately led me to opting for relatively low-maintenance friendships, where we afford each other a lot of slack. Also, by the second time around, I was in a very different postpartum headspace. If you've listened to episode two, you'll know about some of that time for me. You'll also be aware that instead of using real names when talking about my friends, I use the names of iconic women. It's a way to honour these women who were for a time incredibly important to me and influential in my life. So today, I'll be telling you about my friendship with Chrissy Hind, lead singer of The Pretenders, total rock goddess. I think my friend would approve. Also, one of my all-time favourite songs is Brass and Pocket, which is apt given money figures a little bit in my view of this friend. Overall, I think the friendship with Chrissy spanned around five years in those early motherhood years during which, as I've shared, I was feeling quite confronted by the reality of motherhood and how not perfect I was at it. I met Chrissy at a church-based mother's group in our local town. I'm not a churchgoer, so that should tell you how desperate I was for connection. I've also mentioned in previous episodes that I'd moved to a new state, was living in a rural area, didn't know anyone. I was studying online for the first six months, so not getting out much, and then working contract roles. That meant I wasn't really entrenched anywhere long enough, and being rural, it was hard to build momentum with fledgling work friendships. 
My last contract role ended a couple of months before I was due and my female colleagues who I'd only known for a few months threw me a baby shower which was just so lovely since I didn't have any friends here to do that for me. When my kid was about three months old I went along to this mother's group where I met a couple of women who I hit it off with. They were kind of in my age bracket, switched on, local, both were on to their second kids. One of them was Chrissy. With two new friends in my back pocket, I bailed from the mum's group and we set off catching up outside of that. Chrissy and I worked in similar roles, so that was immediate common ground. And she was right into growing veggies, doing food swaps, just at a time when I was getting into gardening myself. She was also very accepting of what I was going through. I was a mess and felt safe opening up to her about it. There were catch-ups where I was just bawling and talking about how I wasn't getting enough sleep and how my child and I were just sick all the time with germs from daycare, how I wasn't meeting my own expectations about the kind of mother I'd be and my ambivalence about motherhood in general, even my unmentionable fears that I'd made a huge mistake. And she listened to all of it. I felt heard, validated. She was right there saying, yeah, it's so fucking hard. I still really appreciate that she created the space where I could just be honest. It was so valuable to me. I felt I could say these things I wasn't hearing from other mums and no longer feeling like, oh my God, there's something so wrong with me because I'm the only one feeling like this. Looking back, that was a key turning point for me to just tell it straight. I decided, right, I'm going to be that person who just tells it like it is when it comes to being a parent. Warts and all, and not pretend like, oh, this is just the best thing that's ever happened to me. Because not only can that make people going through this feel really lonely, it also suggests that people who say that maybe needed to get out more before they had a kid. So that was me at the time. Tired, sick, emotional, super down on myself. You're probably wondering what the hell she was getting out of this friendship. Fair question. Look, we'd have laughs as well, like any friendship, despite the emotional roller coaster that I was on. And she was going through a bit of a tough time herself. Her marriage was breaking down and divorce was imminent. Very painful. A lot to come to terms with emotionally, logistically, getting her head around everything that's involved with the end of a marriage. I tried to be mindful that she was having to do a lot of stuff for herself, new stuff. Also hyper aware of just how much of a life raft she'd been to me. And I always tried to be very intentional about making her feel valued, expressing my gratitude and reciprocating where I could. Once she was living on her own and needed stuff done around the house, if there was a bit of a handyman job, I'd ask my partner to help out firewood and moving stuff around, that kind of thing. Chrissy was very social. She liked to have her calendar booked out a couple of weeks in advance, even before the divorce. Anytime there was any kind of art or music festival, she was in there booking things and she'd ask me if I wanted to go with her, which I did very occasionally. Most of the time I was just wrecked and not up for a late night, but I knew she had other friends that she could go and book herself out with. She liked to be busy, not one for really staying at home on her own. She put it down to growing up in a large family and always having people around and having things happening around her. She liked to maintain that kind of vibe. 
After the marriage ended, she recognised it was something to work on and she would try and stay in on her own a bit more. It maybe might have helped that home wasn't quite so fraught anymore. Me, I've never had a problem being at home on my own or at the movies. So we were a bit different in that way. And that difference sparked our initial falling out. But first, some background. When I first absconded from the church playgroup, I invited Chrissy over and she brought me some seedlings. She'd grown them for selling and so I offered to pay for them. It was $5 or something small like that. My veggie garden happened to be producing at the time and I offered her a shopping bag full of produce to take home, which she was very happy with. But you know what? She still took the money for the seedlings. And I admit I was a bit surprised and embarrassed for her faux pas. But even back then, I clocked that it was a bit of a tight-ass thing to do. And you know, Maya Angelou said, when people tell you about themselves, believe them. No shade. It just means understand who you're dealing with and adjust your expectations accordingly. Instead, I dismissed it and carried on happily, but... As my post-baby brain fog cleared, I began to notice how she was with money and it kind of bugged me. Chrissy was very frugal. I've grown up with an exceedingly frugal mother and while it's certainly been frustrating, I can see how it's a bit of an art form in itself. Also a very sustainable way to live. Sometimes though, sustainability can be a cover for sheer reluctance to part with one's hard-earned cash. And I was starting to have this suspicion about Chrissy. There was a level of attention she gave to the cost of things and how much was being spent that could feel a little bit like party pooping. If we ate out, she wasn't one to split the bill for ease if it meant she might be a couple of dollars out of pocket. I found myself wishing she could just trust that it'll balance out. I was noticing how when we'd arranged to go for a walk, she'd always ask if I could pick her up on my way, but never offered to drive from hers. And hers was halfway between my house and our destination. So that would actually have made it fair with us splitting the distance. The funny thing is that would ordinarily not have bothered me with anyone else. But with Chrissy, I noticed the inconsistency. She was such a stickler for covering exactly her share and not a smidge more so as not to be disadvantaged, but didn't apply this when she stood to benefit from the transaction, like for the drive. So, of course, all of this means that I was the one keeping score and really doing the very thing that I was judging her for. But money is funny, right? People are how they are about it and that shit goes deep. It's the whole scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset. If I'm being honest, I know I tend to live in the scarcity camp more so than the abundance camp myself. I can be a tight ass as much as anyone. While I might perform the ease of splitting the bill, there is some calculus going on in my head. Same as what was clearly going on for Chrissy. That's something I'd started to work on back then and it's a work in progress. I'm still trying to go with the flow more where money is concerned. Back then, I didn't like seeing this part of me that I was trying to shed reflected in her. I think this is what is meant by shadow work. The stuff that bothers us about other people is actually the stuff we struggle to recognize and acknowledge in ourselves. 
Also, if I'd been paying attention at the start, I should never have been surprised by her stinginess. And that's how I perceived it, stinginess. Now, I can see I wasn't being very generous in my appraisal of her, and I still chose to be her friend while holding that against her. Then, as you do, you start to look for it, right? Waiting for the inevitable to happen, when a walk was proposed or when we ate out anywhere. There was the time of the wine as well, which I can't quite figure out still what it was about. It was winter and she had invited a mutual friend and I over for dinner. The friend was bringing dessert. I offered to bring a bottle of red, but she said she preferred white. Now, I'm not a fan of white, so I suggested a bottle of sparkling white as a compromise, which she literally responded to with a yuck over text, which was like, oh, okay. So I offered to pick up a bottle of white for her, but then she said, Not to worry about it, as she wasn't planning on drinking much anyway. So I just contributed a block of chocolate to dessert to share and reverted back to red wine, which I knew our mutual friend would be happy with. And Chrissy, when she saw the bottle of red, was fully disappointed and said, Oh, I thought you were bringing sparkling. And I'm like, Hang on, you said yuck to that. And she said, Oh, I would have still had some. This I can't drink. And it was just so confusing, that exchange. And it kind of felt like I hadn't lived up to my end of the dinner bargain. In hindsight, I should have just brought a bottle of each to thank her for having me over and to keep the peace. It wasn't a formal dinner party where I'd ordinarily do that kind of thing, but that seemed to be the expectation. And look, this is me being petty, but she didn't exactly do that when I'd have her over for a meal. So I don't know. But after that, I was done with dinners and was starting to feel a bit over it. Okay, so the fateful friending. We had made plans to catch up late on a Sunday afternoon. I was meant to go over for a visit and a pizza, but I was feeling like shit. I was tired and flat and didn't want to leave the house or be around anyone. I knew she liked having her plans stitched up, and here I was, wanting to bail. I think I'd cancelled other plans recently, mixed up my partner's travel dates, and was thinking, shit, I'm having to do this again, and it's really last minute this time. But also, it's a Sunday, so maybe not such a big deal, given we've got work tomorrow. I rang her and said, look, I'm really sorry, I'm just not feeling up to it. I just want to go to bed and watch some Netflix and get an early night. I chalk some of it down to perimenopause, which if you have a baby in your 40s, but just as you're recovering from all the postnatal shit, welcome to perimenopause. Anyway, so she kind of pleads, come on, just come over. It'll be fine. A quiet night in. And I said, look, I'm just no fun right now. I really just need some time to myself. I'm so sorry. And so we got off the phone and I took myself to bed. Then a few days later, I get this text from her saying, you can't keep cancelling on me. I feel like you're taking me and my time for granted. Something like that. She actually started her message with something, something about perimenopause symptoms and getting hormones tested, but then finished with this. When I started reading her text, I was thinking, oh, look, she's concerned about my health. But then that switched to, oh, right, you actually just don't want to be stood up. Okay. 
So it felt like she was saying, can you just sort yourself out because you're not very reliable and it's bothering me. Yes, I know that's not what the message actually said, but that's how I took it. A telling off disguised as concern. And I got mad. You know, like when you see red and there's this pressure building in your head like it's going to explode. Yeah, I was enraged. And there was a little voice in my head that said, put the phone down, walk away, go for a walk, do not reply right now. Was I going to listen to that voice? Uh, Yes and no. I went for a walk and took my phone and I shot back a reply, basically saying, are you for real right now? When I needed to cancel, I rang you to explain what was going on for me and apologised for doing so precisely because I didn't want you to feel like I was taking you for granted. So why send that message? Also, you've cancelled primetime Friday night plans on me because you felt like staying in and having a bath, which I was totally fine with. Can we not afford each other some grace? Just cut each other some slack, given all the shit we're having to contend with right now? We went back and forth, and my last text was basically, if you can't let some of that stuff go, then it's best we just leave this. Take care. And that was it. Yeah, it escalated fast. I don't think she was expecting it to unfold that way, but I stayed angry about that message for some time. I felt like I had been as honest as I could be, as accountable as I could be. I had tried to manage expectations, but it wasn't going to be enough for her. A few months went past, maybe two or three months, and then it was Christmas time. I was away and got an email from her completely out of the blue. And it was such a lovely email. She apologised, explained what had been going on for her, finding it hard to be alone, that kind of thing. And thanked me for being there for her all this time. It was all the things, a really lovely message. I basically cried when I read it and replied saying, so nice to hear from you. Thank you so much for your beautiful words. And yeah, I'd love to see you. Let's catch up when I'm back. It was a very healing thing to receive. Then when we did catch up, it was nice, though a bit tentative. I think we were both in different places. I was feeling stronger and more like my old self, as much as you can be your old self while having a kid completely transform your life. For her, the divorce was final. She had set herself up, which was great, and she was even dabbling with dating. We resumed the friendship, but weren't actually catching up all that frequently. I think I was busier, working more, and I had probably expanded my friendship circle as well, so I wasn't quite as available or needy, to be honest. We'd catch up for walks mainly, but the friendship hadn't returned to its old beat and we didn't attempt to change that. It was on one of those walks that I hear about this guy that she's been seeing for around six months and everything was going really well. They'd been taking it slow because they both had kids in the mix, but now she felt like she was ready to ramp things up. When she mentioned that to him, he said he was open to it and needed to think it through. But a couple of weeks had passed and she was ready to give him an ultimatum. I was listening to this and said, it still sounds fairly early for the both of them in terms of post-divorces and the need to consider kids, etc. I said it was good she'd expressed the change in her position, uh, but an ultimatum seemed hasty. I suggested that the not knowing can be hard 
and that it's understandable that she felt a bit exposed. But also everyone moves on from these sorts of big life changes at different paces, so maybe give him some time. But she remained adamant about the ultimatum. And I thought, well, you know, do what you want. It's none of my business. But also it occurred to me, that's right. You're like this. You're kind of hard line. I'd clocked this earlier, but again, I think I was in too much of a fuzzy headspace to really register it. Thinking back to the text she sent me, it was the same kind of hardline stance, this instruction to the other person to just sort themselves out and get with her program. I thought, yeah, I don't like this. As I said, I was at a point where I was trying to relax and go with the flow a bit more and not try and control everything. And that just didn't feel compatible with spending what little time and energy I could spare with someone who just had this kind of white knuckle grip on things. And it made me want to put some distance between us. So then News Eve came around and she had invited me over to hers, just the two of us. I was so perplexed because I'd intended to spend it with my partner and child. And I was just thinking, am I wrong for thinking it's obvious I'd want to be with my family? Otherwise, why would she suggest this? Spending New Year's alone with a girlfriend is something I would have done in my 20s, but not really what I'm up for now. I get that she's single now, but I'm not. And I don't know, I just kind of felt guilty for wanting to spend it with my family instead. So I said I'd be spending it at home and we were having some people around and she was welcome to join us. And she was kind of vague about it. And then on the day when I checked with her, she said she'd made other plans and wasn't coming. Which, again, totally fine. But also, how about letting me know? Anyway, sometime later, my partner and I had bought some flat-packed cabinets and there was a shitload of large cardboard sheets that I needed to get rid of. I wasn't organised enough to use it in my garden as mulch, so I put an ad out for people to come and collect it for free. Some people turned up and did some cardboard Tetris to fill their car with it, but there was still quite a bit left. Chrissy saw the ad and asked if she could have the cardboard. And I said, yeah, absolutely. There's quite a bit left. Come and grab it. And she said, oh, look, I can't make it today, but do you reckon you could just drop it off for me during the week, just whenever you're driving past? Now, I'll tell you, I got a bit miffed at that. Like, it's not enough. She gets the cardboard, but she wants it taken to her. And I replied saying that, look, I don't really have time to do that. It's quite a big job, loading and then unloading it. And she replied with the thumbs up and that was it. End of story. It wasn't clear at first whether she still wanted the cardboard, but I didn't hear anything further. If I couldn't drop it off, then she didn't want it. And that's fine. Don't have the cardboard. But this attitude that it wasn't too much to ask me, but it was too much to sort out herself... Um, no. Now, I don't blame you for thinking you're being a bit petty here, Sabina. No doubt I am. There was something in the dynamic, though, that I was seeing now where requests would be made that just provoked this resentment in me. And then I'd feel really guilty about being resentful and about being petty. She just had this way of trying to get people to do things for her without actually acknowledging that they'd be doing her a big favour and that she's super grateful for the help. 
Maybe asking made her feel too vulnerable given she was now on her own and possibly finding it hard. But even saying that, I feel like I'm making her out to be some sad figure just because she's single, which I do not believe has to be the case. I know plenty of women living their best lives after a major breakup. So I decided I just didn't want to be in that dynamic anymore. I don't think we even had any contact after the cardboard incident. It had been fizzling out as it was. And the cardboard broke this camel's back. So there you have it. I feel like this share hasn't honored the friendship very well. I feel a kind of defensiveness and a need to justify my position. And I think it stems from guilt. Chrissy was a lifeline for me during the postpartum years. There were times when I felt at such a loss, so in over my head, so inept and exhausted, and I shared all of that with her, and not once did she judge me or jump to advice giving. She just let me get it all out and listened and validated where she could. It made such a difference to me to be able to voice all those taboo things, Slowly, I became more comfortable sharing my full experience of motherhood, and I haven't stopped. I suppose this show is me trying to do that about friendship, and it stems from that time, that experience, and that friendship. I used to think that maybe it was because we were quite different people in the end, and that's why it fizzled. Maybe it was actually seeing qualities in her that were also in me, my shadow side, and I didn't like it. Or maybe as I became ready to acknowledge and release those qualities in myself, I also had to let her go. I mean, that sounds a bit more emotionally evolved than I actually am. So I don't know. I was also going to say that it started to feel a bit transactional. But again, I'm not sure if that's the right way to look at it either. If anything, it felt like she was always looking out for herself in a way that arose from a deep sense of insecurity And she wasn't comfortable expressing her needs more genuinely. Maybe a fear of being seen as weak or needy meant none of her asks landed well, and it would just feel like she was taking the piss a bit. Maybe that's the learning. If you've got a friendship in your life that's actually bringing out the ugly in you or keeping you stuck in a particular dynamic, then maybe that in itself is a message or a sign. Like, you know what? Something here is not working for me. Something here is rubbing up against me all wrong. I'm reacting to something. I don't like who I am in this situation. So I'm just going to let it be for a bit and see where that takes me. You know, in recalling this, I can tell you I'm seeing some parallels with my other friendings, including the one I've shared in episode two. I can see I have this pattern of holding it in, trying to accommodate or ignoring something that's been bothering me until it reaches boiling point. And then it just all spews forth. I talked about this a little with Tori in episode four. I can tell you the same thing happened with the big one, the friending that sparked this show in the first place. So, you know, it's noted, dear listener, it's noted. I suppose what's made me feel so uncomfortable is that, yes, the change in us, or at least in me, was becoming more apparent and leading me to create some distance, which, by the way, Chrissy was echoing and I've found it hard to resolve who she was to me at the start compared to at the end. It has felt like I've been a bit callous and selfish and wanting to move on. 
what kind of person am I to walk away from someone who was once very much a lifeline? I felt like a bit of a user. Now that I no longer needed her and I had other friends, I wasn't prepared to give as much. And maybe that means that I was, in fact, quite transactional with her. And what if I'm that way in all my friendships? Ooh, this possibility is very uncomfortable to face and I want to run in the other direction as fast as I can. But what is it to be transactional in friendships? Going back to our philosophers, in each of the foundations of friendship discussed in episode 3, utility, pleasure, goodness or duty between friends, a give and take is suggested, which is a transaction of sorts. So maybe that's not something to balk at. But what do we actually owe our friends when it feels like the friendship has run its course? Chrissy and I never acknowledged the changing dynamic between us. No doubt I let her down about the New Year's plans, about the wine, the cardboard with my frustration and her proposed ultimatum. She never said anything about it, but why would she, given how I reacted when she did express her needs? The truth is, I could have been a lot more generous with my time and patience and consideration of her. I was in a stronger place emotionally, perhaps even stronger than where she was at. I had more to give. If I could have been more in touch with all that I had to be grateful for in my life, maybe I could have found it in me to be more generous with her. And given my issues about stinginess in the friendship, I was the one that ended up withholding genuine friendship from her. It's not something I'm proud of, but also I'm still not quite sure what the alternative could have been. I suspect there could have been an honest conversation between us, done in good faith, to try and improve our understanding of each other. What was the deal with the wine, man? Look, here's how I felt about the cardboard request. How about I drive to yours and you drive from there? Why do we find it so hard to express ourselves honestly with the people that have been our closest allies? I've been having some chats with different friends about how they've been wrestling with this very issue recently. From both perspectives, those that just want to ghost a friend because communication feels too hard, too fraught, too late. And also those who've been ghosted or felt left out and just how awful that is, the not knowing and the feeling like you've been discarded. It's something I want to dig into in a future episode how we're primed to discard people in our capitalistic throwaway culture, how we may be overusing the concept of boundaries to further separate ourselves from each other at a time when we so desperately need community, that in doing so, we may be walking away from golden opportunities to get really clear about ourselves, our needs, our limitations, the work we need to do on ourselves when we walk away from hard conversations. Lots to unpack and... I'd love to have some guests on who can speak to this underlying cultural soup that is showing up in our interpersonal dynamics. One thing I've learned is that whatever problem you want to talk about, the cause is almost always structural, more so than personal. By that, I mean that there are macro level social, economic and political factors that we're not consciously aware of because they're so deeply embedded all pervasive and persistent in our society and they all tend to interact with each other to create really complex issues in all domains of life including the interpersonal. So we tend to shoulder responsibility for things that are actually well beyond our direct control. Things like class, 
gender norms, social policy, discrimination, the dominant economic paradigm, etc. These are all playing a role in how we relate to each other. That's why the personal is always political. Okay, if that hasn't put you off, be sure to keep tuning in. Please share your thoughts and any questions you may have, and I'll try and answer them on the pod. That's it from me for now. See you next time on Friendings. Friendings has been created by me, Sabina Shah, on Paramount Country. Writing, production and sound engineering also by yours truly. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate and review or tell your friends about it. It really helps, so thank you for that. Feel free to get in touch via Instagram at friendings.show. Oh, 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 o